Welcome to the Neurosurgeon's Journey, part of the Library of Brain and Spine Group's Medical Student Neurosurgery Training Center and a collaboration with the AANS's Young Neurosurgeons Committee. I'm your co-host, Michael Quartz. I'm currently the Senior Student Director of Education Resources for MSNTC, and shortly we'll be joined by your other co-host, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. He is an Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery at the Baylor College of Medicine and is the current Chair of the YNC. We're happy to have you with us as we look deeper into the rewarding life of a neurosurgeon and explore what it takes to get there. Dr. Johnson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be here once again. <laughs> once again, yeah, because I forgot I was not recording <laughs> the first time we did this. <laughs> Today's topic is going to be very interesting, uh, talking about social media and neurosurgery, how to do it effectively and professionally. And we have two guests, uh, both resident neurosurgery uh, physicians, Dr. Laura Stone McGuire and Dr. Joseph Lindsay. Dr. Laura Stone McGuire, uh, she's a PGY6 and chief resident at the University of Illinois, Chicago. She completed her medical school at the University of Miami. Um, she'll be starting her infolded endovascular fellowship at UIC next year and is currently applying for open cerebrovascular fellowships to pursue a career in vascular neurosurgery. Laura, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, second guest is Dr. Joseph Lindsay. PGY2 at the University of Michigan. Uh, that's where he completed his medical school, where he also earned a master's degree in clinical research from their School of Public Health. Uh, he's a social media editor for the Journal of Neurosurgery and is interested in cerebrovascular and endovascular surgery as well. Joey, how are you today? Phenomenal. So just, just to start, uh, Dr. Johnson, kind of want to hear your initial thoughts uh, about why this topic is important and uh, why you think it, it certainly deserves this conversation today. Yeah, so social media and, and neurosurgery saw this saw this kind of trend coming uh, far long ago in in the ice ages. Maybe not quite in the dinosaur ages, but the ice ages when I first became uh, elected to the Young Nurses Committee, which in reality is only about six or seven years ago. Um, but even back then, you know, their social media was a little bit earlier on, and there certainly wasn't anything in neurosurgery on social media at the time, or very little. Um, but we pushed as a committee the vision to to get onto social media, um, knowing that this is likely the way that medicine was going to trend in the future. Um, it has a lot of advantages. It is ability to share information among other interested parties, the hashtags, the tags, very much lends itself to online conversations about a variety of things from literature um, all the way to trending topics that may be going on. Um, that, is, that involve neurosurgery or medicine, uh, advocacy. There's just so many things you can do with it. Um, and that's just as an organizational level, a personal level, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's like can get even more, even more useful for, for visibility. And maybe Joseph will talk a little, little bit about that and how as a medical student, you can potentially use it to, uh, you know, to, to pro propel yourself a little bit forward. And so I think it's a really, it's a really nice medium um, that now seems probably obvious, but, but um, has been growing. I think we'll only get more, uh, more prominent in our lives going forward. Yeah, no, I think that that's all very true. Laura, for you, you know, what's your story for why you decided neurosurgery for you and, and why you think, you know, social media um, plays a role, such a big role in our, our day and age today, especially uh, as it pertains to uh, neurosurgery. Yeah, sure. So I have an interesting background that led me to neurosurgery, and it probably actually is what contributes a bit to my 
my uh, belief in and how social media and communication in general factors into building a neurosurgical community is that uh, I went to the University of Georgia for undergrad and I was a non-science major. I, I majored in uh, speech communication and political science before going to medical school at the University of Miami. Very interesting. And yeah, and then at the University of Miami as a medical student, I actually did not think I was going to be going into anything surgical at all. I thought I'd be going into psychiatry or perhaps neurology. And then I rotated on uh, psychiatry, and this is after several years of doing research in schizophrenia. I was pretty sure that this is what I was going to do, but I rotated on psychiatry, and within the first few weeks, I knew it was not the right fit for me, um, that I, I found it very uh, frustrating um, that you, know, you, you really weren't working with your hands, you weren't seeing a direct effect of your labor, that you could spend hours on end uh, trying to um, make sure that a patient gets better, uh, and then it all boils down to medications, the titrating them, whether the patient actually takes the medications or not, and I found that very frustrating. And then mm. I rotated on my surgical general surgery rotation and realized instantly that uh, I was meant to be in the operating room, and I, I loved being in the operating room. I loved working with my hands. I loved uh, being the actual effect that you're desiring for the patients that you are actually the intervention yourself. And I really uh, liked that about surgery. And, and so then uh, combining my interests, I had uh, been thinking about neuro, I'd been thinking about psych, that's where all my research was in. And then I luckily had a lot of really good mentors at the University of Miami uh, and was able to switch gears very smoothly, took a year to do research in traumatic brain injury, and then ultimately applied for neurosurgery. And that's, that's where uh, that's where I am now. And then here I am in neurosurgery six years later <laughs> as a PGY6 and chief resident up here in Chicago. Not going back um, to psychiatry. It's too late. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking with psychiatry. I, I you know, I, I think it's very fascinating, which, you know, just anything to do with the brain. I think that anyone going to neurosurgery has that same awe of the nervous system, but, um, but I'm glad that I went in this direction instead. It yeah. definitely suits my personality much more. Um, That's great. So, but that being said, I mean, I, I did, like I said, had a, had a non-science background coming into medical school, and uh, that really influenced a lot of my extracurriculars as a medical student and even my perspective uh, then and now. And I certainly do appreciate the importance of good communication, not only at the bedside with patients and their families, um, but also just as a community, so as a neurosurgical community. And I, I think that's where we're really fortunate to be living in a, a society where we do have social media because it just broadens that community even more, that you're able to connect with neurosurgeons uh, or even people outside of your specialty um, in the medical community across the, the world, both from Twitter, Facebook, and now Instagram. Uh, and then for me, think that it's not just about connecting with other people within the medical community, but you really get to connect on a different level to the, the patient base too, and have a lot of uh, outreach there as well for um, diseases that you are passionate about and, and can use those platforms to, to reach more people. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's great. I, I must be honest, I didn't start using Instagram until I, I was in residency and actually it was probably oh. a couple of years ago. So I'm relatively new to it, but, um, but I do really appreciate the, the visual medium that it provides to communicate uh, information to 
you know, the broader community via Instagram. So how do you, how do you specifically use it in a professional context? Yeah, so my Instagram page, my personal Instagram page, um, I say that as if I have two, but I really only have one. But I, I treat it knowing that I, I have it as a public. Um, I don't have it as a private page. So it mm -hmm. is um, open to anybody that uh, wants to take a look at the photos that I share. But at the same time, it is personal. I think that um, it's, you know, it, it is genuinely me it is mm -hmm. who i am is these are the things that i'm interested in but i do share um, not only things that i enjoy on a daily basis you know i share pictures of my dogs <laughs> and, and various things that i do here and there drawings you name it but i also share um, uh, things from the hospital too i think that it's a uh you know i haven't really crossed into the strictly professional page yet but i do think it's nice just in general that individuals residents attendings anyone can can show that side of themselves that they're not just showing the white coat you know they're actually there's a person behind that um that has interest just like anybody else yeah and i you know it's certainly from a student's perspective when we you know we are trying to get connected to the community the nurse surgery communities specifically you know we always hold <coughs> people higher on the totem pole, certainly, uh, in this almost kind of unrealistic, you know, fashion. I'm sure you guys felt that way, you know, as, as students, but you, you, you forget that they're human beings almost. They're just, yeah. they have the, yeah. that people, regardless of where they're at in their career uh, or whatever, they, they have, you know, they, they love their dogs, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love my dogs. So, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I love my dogs down the road too. So, um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is actually my yellow lab's name. So just want to throw that out there. Uh, people are getting to know me. Star Wars, Star Wars. There you go. Um, so Joey, yeah, you know, you, you've, you've got a unique perspective on the social media side for the Jerome neurosurgery, um, uh, as well as I know that you have built um, a course for the AANS uh, within social media. And so I'd love to hear some of your uh, initial thoughts on, on this, uh, on why social media is important and that sort of thing. Yeah, of course. So, so I guess a little bit about my journey into neurosurgery. So I, I started out as, uh, as an English major at Brigham Young University. Um, so not, not particularly close to neurosurgery, uh, but was taking a, a psychology course. Uh, when I was taking that, there was a chapter about neuroanatomy. Uh, it was kind of the chapter that most people in that particular course skipped over because it wasn't really what they were in it for. Um, and I, I fell in love with it. I remember reading it like three times to memorize every detail I could because I just thought it was so cool. And I realized that that was what I wanted to, to focus on uh, with, with my life. And so I, I kind of switched from a pre-law type background to uh, medicine and uh, just kind of fell in love with, with neuroscience. So when I came into medical school, uh, I, I think I reached out to my, my current mentor, uh, Dr. Ditcha Pandey, I, I think September of my M1 year, and uh, never really looked back. I uh, kind of knew personality-wise that uh, medicine in, in kind of what you know, Laura talked about, in, in the prescription and the titration of medicine and waiting for medicines to 
enact some sort of effect um, wasn't really interesting to me. Uh, and I wanted to be, I had been able to shadow in the OR and had just loved the culture and I loved the, you know, the back and forth that went on between the surgeons and the scrub techs. And I just, I loved that culture and I wanted to be a part of it. And since I love neuroscience so much, neurosurgery just seems like the perfect combination. So um, I never, I was kind of one of those people who came in to medical school wanting to be a neurosurgeon, never looked back and it worked out for me. Um, and I was really, really lucky about that. But I, my, my initial kind of uh, interactions with social media uh, were very kind of hesitant at first. I'm not, I'm not particularly I kind of call myself a technology curmudgeon. I was like most of the way through medical school before I even let myself get a smartphone because I, I didn't want that. I didn't, didn't like, don't like technology uh, at baseline. And- uh, Hey, the Motorola Razor. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. It was a good was one. classic. Legendary. Yeah, over the, over the iPhone any day. Exactly. Yeah. But I was- so the University of Michigan, the medical school has uh, something called the Mi Michigan Journal of Medicine. Uh, and it's uh, a student run uh, journal where you can learn how to edit and, and review papers. And so I was one of the editors in chief of that. And we were trying to figure out how to get our, you know, the good work that was being done by the medical students out. We we're like, hey, maybe we can try this social media thing. And so I actually got a, a Twitter account for that purpose and very quickly realized that there was a just a very vibrant and exciting uh, community of neurosurgeons that were already established. And this was this was back in 2016. So it wasn't nearly what it, what it is now, um, but it was it was enough to get me really excited and you know, there, there was a, a number of people, uh, Jay Mako and uh, Dr. Bob Carter, uh, a handful of people who reached out to me kind of early on, on social media, even as a med student, it, it really impressed me and got me excited about the field. And I felt like I was kind of connected and part of the field. And uh, that transformed into me getting involved with the Journal of Neurosurgery um, and being able to work with Dr. Rutka. And it, in a lot of ways, as a medical student, it was kind of a, a dream come true of these opportunities that were happening that I had, I had no, uh, you know, they were, they were just happening and it was, it was amazing. I was getting to work with these wonderful people. And um, so for me, social media really started out as a way to connect with people and uh, start to develop some, online relationships that then, you know, when CNS and WNS, we were able to go in person before all the COVID stuff, you know, I was able to meet these people online and then start talking to them in person. And they already kind of recognized me and knew who I was, you know, some, some of them. And I don't know, it was just, it was, it was a really fun experience. So I, I think social media is amazing, especially as a medical student where neurosurgery is so hierarchical. Uh, it's an amazing way to break down barriers and talk to people who you wouldn't normally be able to talk to. And it's a great way to disseminate research and, and get all of that uh, knowledge. And there's so much education nowadays. Um, but for me, uh, social media was really a, a great way to connect with the field early. Yeah, I've certainly felt that way. Um, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, take it too seriously. And then certainly when COVID hit, I realized um, I didn't at that time know 
in like April, uh, February, March, I wasn't for sure doing this research fellowship at CU. And um, from my perspective, my, my school doesn't have a, uh, a home program. And, and I was uh, kind of felt a little dead in the water. And um, I had a couple of friends who were going for, you know, surgical subspecialties and, and felt that med Twitter, you know, hashtag med Twitter is the, was potentially a way to kind of get connected. Um, and so I built, built a Twitter uh, at that time. And, you know, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes I feel like I need to be on there more than, than others. But, um, and I've, I've found that that's been the most effective for at least medical students in terms of connecting with people in the field. Is that something, certainly in the YNC, Dr. Johnson, do you feel like that's, that, is there a certain platform that you guys use more than others that you feel is a better way to communicate and disseminate information? They're all a little bit different, obviously. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that there's two things going on. One is that each there's multiple platforms that lend themselves for different uses to some degree. And the second thing is, is that actually as you evolve, we, we kind of are fortunate, but also partly we designed this panel to go medical student, junior resident, senior resident, faculty, right? So um, I think that there's actually different uses of it depending on your stage and training oh, slash practice. Yeah. So, so I think we can talk about both of those things. They're both interesting topics. Um, so as far as what platforms to use, I think the most robust community that's out there talking about various topics in neurosurgery, and I think in medicine is a Twitter. It uh, has the capability to talk, you know, in short, brev- brief forms, have s- discussions. Um, about topics. Um, you can post pictures, videos, um, have chains of discussions, this type of thing. And then contrast that with Instagram, which is generally not as conversational or informational, but is much more um, just just suited for images and even videos a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So for example, like if you want to have a discussion about something that's going on in Washington related to medicine, then Twitter would be where I would have that conversation. Um, you know, or something that's happening in the field, some big discovery or something like that. Whereas if you want to show images of procedures or anatomy or or images of people, then I think that Instagram lends itself more to that. So there's some people that have just like powerhouse Instagram accounts with surgical videos and anatomy discussions and things like that, which really wouldn't be necessarily all that great or robust on Twitter. And then there's Facebook, which actually I think lends itself to, to groups much more, you know, to, to organizations and to, to, you know, to posting a variety of things in, in like kind of like a more loculated community. And so that has its place as well, I think. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's other platforms also, which I haven't forayed into TikTok, you know. But, uh, it's the next frontier. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but if you, you, you know, you may see me dancing soon. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we will have to make a video. Brain... We'll have to make a video version of this so we can all. I'm gonna dance for brain aneurysm awareness. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Oh my gosh. So you know, it, I'd love to kind of get a little more pragmatic, um, a little a little deeper in terms of some of the do's and don'ts of how to interact effectively and professionally on these social media platforms. You know, I, I think we've all laid out that there's a lot of potential here, depending on where you're at in your training. Joey, for you, you know, you've transitioned from medical student to now junior resident and, and have some experience in the social media arena. What are some things that medical students and junior residents should be keeping in mind when they're building their uh, accounts and, and ways that they can do it effectively? 
I think that the biggest recommendation or um, piece of advice I would give is to be yourself on social media and to um, promote the type of person that you want people to see. So I, I think that, you know, a, a handful of years ago, um, we, we wrote a, an article for, for JNS and, and talked about the need to be professional and to keep controversial topics out of, out of your posts and just to be posting professionally. And, you know, and I think that that is a fine way to, to look at social media. If you look through my Twitter account, the vast majority of my Twitter account is, is professional and uh, you really wouldn't be able to tell me from anyone else uh, in the neurosurgery field. Uh, but you know, I think recently, especially in the last year, that has been changing. The idea that a neurosurgeon can be just talking about anterior communicating aneurysms uh, is, is probably getting less and less uh, realistic. And I think that more and more um, neurosurgeon, neurosurgery residents, medical students, and, and even attendings are, are wanting to engage in important political discourse and I think that that's I think that that's very appropriate. You know, I when you think back to the the founding of the country, there were a lot of physicians who signed the Constitution, and I, I think that more and more physicians are currently using social media to engage in that way. And I think that that's a really positive thing. So ultimately, I think that as someone who's starting out in social media, or as a medical student or resident who's in a little bit more of a vulnerable situation, you just have to be very comfortable with what you're posting. If you want to be posting uh, just anatomy posts, I think that that's totally fine. If you want to be posting uh, political posts, you know, I think that that is appropriate so long as you're kind of up for those kind of discussions and are representing yourself appropriately. So you, you said that in the last year, things have started to change. And, and certainly from a public standpoint, it's just, you know, social change in general, you know, has been uh, very powerful just in the last six months. Um, do you feel like there's been a, a change? And, and Laura, I'd actually love to hear from you first about this, just because you've been in uh, the program now for uh, six years now. And, you know, do you feel like there is, do you agree with Joey there that there has been a change? And uh, if so, you know, how, how should medical students and, and residents and attendings um, be, conscious of their, whether it's quote unquote controversial posts, whether it's political or enjoying themselves when they're, they're out with friends or, or, you know, doing it a professional way, but things that were traditionally thought as controversial. Do you agree that within programs there's, and departments that, that there's been some kind of change there that's, you know, progressing that allows, you know, people interested in the field and candidates for the field to be a little more uh, free about some of the stuff that they they share. Do you think that's that's right? Yeah, that's a it's a tricky question. Um, yeah. I do think that things have shifted a bit over the past you know year or so um, with a lot of social movements that have mm -hmm. become uh, really critical to um, make a point to actually communicate about, mm -hmm. and that's just across domains, not just in medicine. Right. Um, that being said. I, you know, it is a challenging position to be in as a medical student, as, um, as a resident, um, because, you know, you are still at the, at the whim of 
the next letter of recommendation or the next, um, you name it, you know, you still have to graduate. Um, and so you, you don't want to step on anyone's toes and be mm -hmm. offensive either. So I, I think that the, you still have to be true to yourself uh, whenever you are on these different social media outlets. And I think that if it is an issue that is uh, important to you and you're passionate about, you should speak up uh, because that is, you know, this is the new public sphere. These are the new uh, places where political and public discourse is had. Uh, mm -hmm. So I do think that it's important just as, you know, a, a citizen to be engaged in that that process. But um, with the uh, understanding that you have to be professional, you have to be diplomatic in how you communicate your opinion, because there, there are a lot of different ways you can communicate the same thing. And there are ways to say something in a meaningful way that uh, has a much greater and broader impact then, uh, and then you can also say it in a way that really um, steps on somebody else's toes or offends. I mean, there are different styles of communication for sure. I, I think that for any medical students that are, you know, thinking about how to best shape their Twitter, their Instagram, all of that is just to keep in mind that at the end of the day, being a neurosurgeon, being a doctor, this is a profession. And what I mean by that is that it doesn't, you know, you don't stop being a neurosurgeon because you went home from work. You're still a neurosurgeon. You don't stop being a doctor because you went home from work. That is very different from being just uh, an accountant or a CEO of a company. I mean, it's very different. Like, uh, mm -hmm. so it, it is something that, um, you know, your relationship to the community is, is different than say uh, someone else's in that regard that anything that you say on your personal Twitter may be seen by a patient of yours or a future patient of yours or a program director or a hospital administrator or just some neighbor. And they see you in that light that, that you are still representing the field of medicine, the field of neurosurgery. And so I think that that, that is you have to hold yourself up to that standard uh, whenever you post, uh, but still being true to yourself and being authentic and speaking about issues that are important to you. I'm all about that, uh, but you just have to be very mindful. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, certainly about it's a 24-7 lifestyle, you know, um, uh, it's a calling, all those things that people attribute to why you do it are also reasons that you need to be conscious of how you do it while you, when you're in it, you know, some, a couple of things that I've just thick of trying to get into a competitive field like neurosurgery, you know, things that I've just used in the back of my head is, you know, what is your goal for this post, whatever it is, just to be conscious of that and be very, be articulate about what that is. And then if you're kind of on the fence about it, you know, just sleeping on it, just like you would an email, you know, that you're a little unsure of sending, whether it's has maybe inflammatory language or, you know, something that might be controversial and just sleep on it and see if it aligns with your priorities. And then if you're really unsure, you can ask a friend that you trust to kind of look at, look at it. And I've, I've, you know, used that system a couple of times and it's worked for me. And um, I think that, that there are lessons to be learned because I do think these tools are powerful, you know. I think and, that's and you, very good advice too, especially um, there's a lot of controversial 
topics out there right now. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah. And and I think it's very, at least for myself, I, I should speak only for myself. It, I will read an article and get very heated about it. And right. it, it's just something to do with American politics or whatever. Right. And I want to post about it on Facebook. And it is important to take that step back and, and think to yourself, okay, what is what is the purpose of me sharing this article and also how I share it? So it's it's easy to get swept away with the moment. Uh, and so just, I think that's great advice just to pause, take a step back, think about it for a moment, and then, you know, however much time you need, but then whenever you do decide that this is something worth talking about, then go for it. But otherwise, just really take that time to think it through. Over the last 10 years, has just exploded in its scope and form, and social media has, and society kind of just walking around trying to figure out how to put these things together and how we interact with each other and um, in what ways and, you know, whether to do it professionally or not. Um, certainly some people take that tack more than others. Um, but it, it, in, in my experience, and it's hard, right? I mean, when you're in the moment, you know, you're looking at something that you absolutely do not agree with and maybe there's something factually wrong or whatever. And you just, you have to, it's almost an impulse. Yeah. But if you can, yeah, like take a deep breath or whatever, you know, deep breath solves so many issues. I, it's like, <laughs> Everyone should just learn how to deep breathe, and then we would all do. We would all be so much better off. Um, life advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here giving life advice. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to hear. Um, you know, it, you said something about patience, and I thought that that was that was something I kind of want to touch on. That's not something I've heard a lot about. Um, what are the patient care implications of social media? Uh, you know, I know that some, you know, like if it's a Facebook account. Patients can go on there kind of like a Yelp or, you know, Yelp or Facebook, whatever. They can go on there and leave a review of the doctor or that sort of thing. Um, there's certainly that component. Places like Mayo Clinic or, or different institutions will have, like, their, they'll have different educational content on their, their page that is at the patient level, um, patient comprehension level. What, what are some things that you guys think, uh, we'll start with you, Joey, you know, what are some things that you think are ways that departments and, and neurosurgeons and residents, whatever, are engaging with patients through social media? So I would say as a junior resident, that's not something that I've done quite as much of. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that, you know, I, I know the University of Michigan uh, Department of Neurosurgery does do that a lot. And mm -hmm. um, they'll, they'll use their social media to, to reach out about clinical trials and interesting research that's occurring within our department. And um, you know, new opportunities for patients. You know, as, as, a, as a resident, I think that one of the things that we're able to engage with quite a bit is working with patient-focused groups and uh, being able to reach out to people who are working on a large scale to help, uh, you know, educate patients about important topics, whether it be stroke or brain tumors or, or aneurysms. And uh, I feel like, again, as a, as a junior resident as a medical student, those are opportunities to uh, engage with, with patients on a large scale, help an organization, again, make those kind of connections and be able to provide that education to help uh, patients learn more about neurosurgery, about the pathologies that we deal with and how to, if there are you know, modifiable risk factors, things that they can do to live a better, healthier life. Dr. Johnson, have you seen that at, at Baylor? Does Baylor do that a lot? Or 
Certainly, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, some of this overlaps with online presence a little bit. Mm. And, um, yeah, so, so I think the easiest thing to do when it comes to patient education with social media, you certainly can do that, particularly with Instagram, where there's images and diagrams. Um, a little harder to do in Twitter. Um, but you can very easily engage with patient support groups via social media. So like great. Before, you know, before, you had to find someone's email or phone number. Now you can directly message them or get involved with their campaigns and this type of thing through, through social media quite nicely. Um, you definitely, as, a, as much more incentivized as a faculty or as an attending, to have more patient education material on your social media than you are as a resident or medical student Makes because sense. you're directly reaching out to those people that are interested in those pathologies to become your patients, right? So, so for instance, I made on uh, for Baylor Supervisor Neurosurgery, uh, I made like a series of patient focused educational, you know, pages. So whenever someone, uh, you know, Google's brain aneurysms, for example, in Houston, you know, our page of educational material and our faculty come up, right? So that's not social media per se, but it's kind of in the same realm. Um, yeah. And for an attending, you also, um, it's something you guys may not think about at these different levels, but you, you actually really need to control your online presence as much as anything. So that's another thing that you can use social media for. So for example, there's all these uh, patient review sites. So I'm very, um, you know, whenever I have a happy patient, I'm saying, Hey, if you're happy, you know, I know you know, thanks for the hug and the, and the kind words, but why don't you go on one of these review sites and leave a nice review, you know, that way. And I, I don't do it necessarily because I want everybody to go do that. I do it as like almost like protection that if someone has a bad experience, heaven forbid, and very often it's not even your fault when these things happen in medicine, but someone gets upset and writes a bad review, you won't have one, you know, two one-star reviews on your you know, patient review site. You know? And the same thing goes with um, having several social media accounts. So when you, and I'm Google searched, um, I want all the things I want people to know about me to be at the top of the Google search and not, you know, some random bad review or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so the more of these, points. Um, you know, more of these things that control, you know, have all, you know, and so the first 10 Google searches are my, you know, faculty, you know, pay, bio page, um, you know, all the social media accounts and then good looking review sites that have good favorable reviews then I'm very happy when my online presence is, is essentially clean. You know, it's not, it's not something that someone else is kind of controlling. Yeah. I think it's wise to bring the social media component under the online presence mm -hmm. more broadly. I think that that's important to kind of keep in mind because um, we are personally more engaged with our social media accounts, but from a clinical care, I mean, right. Cause that's what matters is the patient They're how they interact with us is also important to think about um, in terms of, you know, whether they're get, leaving reviews or what parts of the websites they're on to get information about their disease or, or that sort of thing. So I kind of want to switch gears. The, the, certainly from COVID's perspective, you know, most medical students are only able to spend time with their respective departments or departments that are close to them. And the, uh, SNS obviously came out with their recommendation and guidelines to to that end for neurosurgery specifically. Laura, hey, we may want to ask, just for the audience to clarify what the SNS is. Yeah, yeah. So Society of Neurological Surgeons. Um, sorry. Um, so the you know for from COVID's perspective, how you know how can students gauge better? I you know I would assume most students are aware of these virtual sub internships and other get to know you programs that programs are putting uh, residency programs are putting out there um, are there anything is there anything else 
Laura, from, you know, from your perspective at UIC, is there anything else that students should be aware of? Um, things that UIC maybe is doing that um, other programs can, can learn from? Uh, man, this is such a challenging year to apply for yeah. neurosurgery. I, I, I really feel for the medical students that are going through this process because, I mean, it, it's very difficult for them to get to know different programs as well as it's difficult for us to get to know medical students. So I, it, it's a very, very difficult time. And especially for programs that maybe don't have a home neurosurgery department. Uh, I mean, that's that's very difficult. That being said, I have seen... I'm very happy that so many neurosurgery departments throughout the country have have at least put forward an effort to have these virtual sub-eyes, like you mentioned, or days where medical students can put together a 10 to 15 minute presentation and uh, like multiple medical students can provide a presentation to their department uh, remotely via Zoom. I mean, that's that's really uh, neat. And then I know <laughs> UIC, we've we've done our best to try and update our website and <laughs> we're still we are still awaiting putting together a, a video which I, I fear may not get done <laughs> until the next application cycle so it may it may not happen uh, this year but um, but one of the things that we have done or, or at least tried to do is make sure that each of the medical students that do actually end up rotating with us uh, in person get a good experience and, mm -hmm. and knowing that this is their only chance to um, really experience neurosurgery, and I, I think that right. that's. It's a, I feel really, I feel very bad that that uh, medical students are having to go through that this year. But uh, we're trying to do our best to to make it a worthwhile experience. And I think too, what's nice about uh, just to tie it into social media in that regard is that you know a lot of the things that I have heard about from other programs are through Twitter or through Instagram where they'll be advertising to medical students on a broader level about different events that they have coming up and I think that it's actually been a, a great resource for medical students to uh, be able to hear about these different opportunities to uh, to plug into so yeah and I, I think that there are a lot of things going on and we'll you know only time's going to tell us how how effective they are at both the outreach side and then also making sure uh, medical students get a worthwhile experience uh, in applying to neurosurgery. Students' perspective, I've been impressed with how quickly and how effective all, um, so many departments have put together different materials and uh, information sessions. Probably the most valuable for, for me as a student was just getting to sit down with the residents, you know, just having a conversation with the residents and just hearing their experiences that's who you're going to be um, working closely with and are you going to be your best friends, whether you like them or not kind of thing over the next seven years. And so I've been very impressed with that um, from, from a student's perspective. Um, Joey and, and Dr. Johnson, do you guys have any uh, ideas or any thoughts about that? I think there's a, just so everyone knows who's listening, there's a resource um, for this, essentially trying to pull together all the various virtual opportunities. Two, two things, um, two different I guess they're calendars. So one is through the the brain and spine group. That, yeah, we'll put a uh, we'll put a link up to these. Podcast, so we should yeah. link that. Yeah. And there's another group um, out of UCLA who, with uh, Jasmine Desarce, who's another young neurosurgeon member, has put together. Uh, and I think both of these things happen in parallel. They didn't know much about each other. Who also has a calendar with similar with similar uh, opportunities. The other thing I'll say is I've had a few people just essentially like reach out to me 
uh, and say, ask me about the Baylor program. <laughs> and like, it's just random medical students. I mean, this is, the, they just want to have a conversation about the program and I've connected them with a couple of the residents. And so that is, that is a possibility. Now you do run the risk, of course, of annoying people. If you, if you, <laughs> it does take a lot of time, but you know, people that knew people that I knew you know, said, Hey, why don't you reach out to this person and ask them? And, Have I annoyed uh, you yet, Dr. Johnson? No, uh, <laughs> I think just as to, to hop onto that is that the medical students could use, um, I mean, not every program offers the contact information for residents, but some do. And uh, as opposed to just reaching out straight for attendings, I know a lot of residents are probably uh, willing to engage medical students across the country in those conversations too. And so yeah. just an advice, you know, it may or may not work, but because uh, I know residents are, are super busy, but uh, it's another worthwhile avenue to pursue to just try and have a conversation with some of the residents at the programs too. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Maybe maybe ask the program coordinators for. Yeah, that's that was going to say that. So one thing I've done in the past is, is reach out to the program coordinator and look at the resident list and see if there's something about one of a couple of the residents that potentially we could connect on, whether it's being from a similar area or potentially you know we have similar research interests or that sort of thing, and and, and you know try to get in touch with them directly right away instead of just saying, "Hey, can I talk to a resident?" kind of thing. Um, I found that to be a little more successful just because I think it. And it, it gives you an incentive to be more engaged with the conversation when you have something that um, you have in common. That doesn't always work, obviously, but I found that to, to work sometimes. You also so, reach out to them on social media. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and we're going to put all your social media accounts up on our page as well. So we're going to blast you guys with questions. Um, the uh, Journal of Vascular Surgery article that was published back in December, man, that seems, I didn't realize it was that far long ago. That seems like ages back in December, 2019. And it was ultimately retracted um, talking about the professionalism characteristics of vascular surgery residents. Um, and I didn't know, you know, I think it's, it's been beat to death in the media. Um, certainly on social media, it's been, it's been talked about extensively. Do you guys have any thoughts? We'll start Joey, you know, if, do you have any thoughts about this vascular surgery article, um, certainly in the YNC and AANS circles where, you know, what are, have people dis discussed it? Things that people should be thinking about moving forward, both on the research side, as well as the social media side. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I read the, uh, the letter that the journal sent out with the retraction, and you know, I, I think that there's, as they admitted, probably some some issues with the with the review process that, um, you know, I think we can all all think about as as we engage, especially as residents who are starting to engage with reviewing and editing manuscripts for art for journals. But you know, I I think one of the biggest takeaways, and I think the thing that got so many people frustrated was, kind of a a thought that this this group of people could kind of judge again the the types of posts or the the things that were being shared by other uh physicians and you know ultimately i i, I think that um as we've as we talked about it's important to be careful on social media um you know i uh christopher grafeo who's someone who i i uh kind of value very highly in in social media uh, has a has a Ten Commandments. One of his Ten Commandments is that you know any anything that you post, you should be comfortable with your grandma seeing. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what the the reality is is what you're comfortable with your grandma seeing is very different from person to person, and it's it's not really up to us to uh, 
uh, decide that or uh, judge that on someone else. And so, you know, I, I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier is I think that you have to be very comfortable with what you're posting. You have to be very thoughtful about it. Everything that Laura said is is 100% true. We represent more than ourselves. And that's part of why a lot of people go into neurosurgeries. You want to be part of something bigger than yourself. But as as part of something bigger than yourself, again, sometimes you you are trying to make uh, different statements and those things are are important to, to make. But ultimately, I, I, I think that that article was very because it was it was so blatant in in so many ways i think it opened a lot of people's eyes to just the reality that we are neurosurgeons and we are people and we have to be able to express both both things and uh feel comfortable doing so yeah no i i totally right and i i I was just going to read their retraction statement I, i thought it was a good way to kind of sum up some of the issues with it you know um so they talk about they talk about some different guidelines and then they go into the, the fact that the, the methodology analysis and conclusions of the, are the, of the article were based on published but not validated criteria, judging a series of behaviors, including attire, alcohol consumption, controversial political and religious comments like abortion or gun control in which significant conscious and unconscious biases were pervasive. The methodology was in part predicated on highly subjective assessments of professionalism based on an antiquated norms and predominantly male authorship. Supervise the uh, assessments made by junior male students and trainees. So, I think it highlights several things there that we've, you know, already discussed in this conversation. Right? Is which um, who's deciding what the rules are? One, and how do they apply what their view of those rules are on other people in the in the field that they're they're interested in? And certainly the how how men and women interact on social media is another component there that's very complicated. Laura, do you have do you have any thoughts about? about the article or any of the things that were talked about in the retraction statement? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Joey was saying. Um, And I think ultimately exactly what Joey said is that what the article highlighted and the reaction highlighted is just that at the end of the day, doctors, residents, medical students, we are human. And Mm we, you know, I think that uh, while there's caution in, in what we share on, on social media, there aren't any rules. And at the end of the day, we experience um, life just like any other person does. And, and we share those experiences just like anybody uh, uh, else does too. Um, so I think that it really highlighted just a challenging situation in that differentiation between, and that, that, that border between, well, where does being on social media as just Laura, a person that lives in Chicago, stop? And then where does uh, it begin that I'm Laura, a PGY6 neurosurgery resident? You know, where does that that line? And some may argue there is no line. I mean, that's essentially where what I was saying. But then at the same time, we have to appreciate that everybody um, is human. And, and we have... I don't know. I think that uh, the other thing that the article also highlighted is just, I think that uh, it was an important conversation to have because it it did show that these opinions are out there. So even if you aren't aware of them, that there are other people that think that 
these types of posts are unprofessional. Mm -hmm. And so to be aware of that. So even if you have tried to be thoughtful about your posts and you have put all this effort in, in maintaining your, your personal image, <laughs> then you, you see an article like that and you say, oh, well, I didn't realize that that might be offensive to somebody. So right. it is an important conversation to, to have because it, it opens your eyes to that. Now, whether it's right or wrong, that's a different story. But it's good to have that uh, awareness of, of different opinions out there on, on what's right and what's wrong to post on social media. Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, that's a great way to kind of end our discussion, you know, in terms of just overarching things to be thinking about moving forward. Um, Dr. Johnson, do you have any uh, con concluding thoughts about the article uh, specifically or um, just kind of our conversation in general? I think, I think Joey and Laura did a great job touching on all the issues. I do you too, know. yeah. From someone who's seen the application process, um, you know, from the other side, um, what I would tell people is that um, exactly like Laura said, these, these ideas are out there and this is the perception by some people who will be evaluating you, you know, not everyone. And it's important that we push to change that perception of, of you know, just like the article was retracted, you know, and this is an important mm -hmm. conversation to have amongst everyone. But uh, if I were in a medical student's perspective, shoes, or even as a, as a resident, what I would get out of this article conversation is that that article got published and, um, you know, <laughs> right. you know, in December, 2019 and was not retracted until, you know, whenever it was J July, 2020. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would always counsel someone to err on the side of caution with these things. Like if you want to have like a private Facebook, you know, group where you post these types of things for your friends by all means um, but make sure you know how to use the privacy settings so that mm -hmm. some <laughs> people can't google you you know um, and even then it's a very small you know community so you know someone you may know may have access to other people who get to see what you post so you even then you want to be conservative and not post really you know out there stuff you know so i, I would be very careful because what they're trying to do the people that filter applicants is subselect people that are what we said, like what Laura said earlier. We want to be, we want people that are neurosurgeons in, you know, and portray the profession well in right. and outside of work, um, you know, and all these things. So that's like where the people that are making these determinations come from. It may be a little misguided. You know, I personally think you shouldn't judge anyone on like, like on those basis for sure. But, but it's a tricky thing. I mean, so I think all the overarching lesson of all of this is think very carefully about what you want to put on the internet or on social media about yourself, your opinions. Uh, don't make rash decisions about, like, like Laura said, saying things that you read just now and you have to immediately post it, you know, you know, write it down. Think about like, would I want my chairman or would I want someone who's sitting across from me when I'm, you know, interviewing for a nurse surgery, you know, position as a medical student to read this, you know, and if so, what would they think? And, um, and as long as you can defend it on that level, then I think it's reasonable, but always think like, what would my chair, what would my Dean, what would my whatever think if they read this? Because that's honestly the, that, that's, that's the level that you're being judged on to some degree, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you should be able to, whenever you're writing something, you should be able to say that you would say it out loud to mm -hmm. a group of people, right? I mean, you should be able to, uh, and you said something about, you know, it was published. And I think that there's two things there just to kind of close. The article is published, right? So some of these, these thoughts are still out there, but it was retracted and there was a huge backlash. So maybe there's some of the, some of the, what we were talking about earlier about the changes about the thoughts of social media over the last year were manifested by the reaction 
to the to the publishing of the article. And so I would actually change the order of that. It was published. Then there was a huge backlash. Well, and that's what was, I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they retracted it because <laughs> yeah. of the backlash. Right, right, right. Correct. Right. Um, yeah, they, that is they certainly wouldn't the have order, touched though. it. That is instructive, the order, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they certainly would have. I, I don't know if they would have touched it eventually, but it's, it's that, that was obviously the, the driving force. Um, and so it's, there may be things changing, but we're potentially in this kind of gray area where you still need to be very cognizant about how you're portrayed uh, in, in the digital world as you would be uh, in the real life world. So, well, I, this has been a very informative conversation. I think it'll help a lot of people among the entire uh, totem pole uh, of neurosurgery. And uh, hopefully a lot of people will have uh, some, it'll provoke a, a conversation as well as give them some uh, pointers as they move forward through their career. So just before we end, does, does anyone have any um, closing thoughts or anything like that? Yeah, there there is something that I think is important to mention. There's no talk of social media in medicine without at least thinking about HIPAA. Mm. And uh, especially as medical students, as trainees, residents, we have to be very careful about posting information, pictures, uh, descriptions of any type of cases. Because the, you know, it is very tempting to do. I, I myself have uh, been very tempted to do this, to post a a really interesting case, a really interesting story you want to share right. with your friends, the you know neurosurgical community, like, look what I did. But at the end of the day, that information is protected information. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, unless you as an attending have had that conversation with your patient, which many do, and they will put that disclaimer in their post, then you really should avoid it if you can. And then if you are going to post something that uh, has any type of patient information in it, it, it better gosh darn keep any type of HIPAA information out of it. Right. So meaning any identifiable parts of the post, you know, patient age, the date of the surgery, you know, you may think that it's uh, benign to say that, uh, you know, this uh, lady came in for a bypass surgery today, but at the same time, that was the only bypass surgery at your hospital that day, and that makes that person identifiable. Right. And so I think that you just have to be really careful with posting that type of stuff, no matter how cool it is, how exciting it is to post. Uh, and until you as an attending have had that conversation with your patient, I, I think it's best to just avoid posting if you can. I think that's an extremely important point. Thank you for bringing that up, Laura. Really, really, really important. I mean, I think this is a, I don't put any patient, I, you may notice if you look at my feeds, I don't do much on posting about cases. And when I do, I have a, I have a hospital slash, you know, Baylor approved consent form that I use. Yeah. That I have in the medical record before I post anything on uh, any images, even if it's de-identified. Um, that's just my, that's just my, that's just what I force myself to do because I don't want to yeah. get involved in any, in any HIPAA, HIPAA violations. Yeah. There's probably an opportunity for departments to have very clear guidelines for their faculty and residents and, and students. I mean, just and having a conversation about that. I don't know how the best way to do that, but 
um, having clear guidelines about. Particularly for students and junior residents, you just don't want to get, like, this is all about, uh, you know, avoiding pitfalls, right? <laughs> like, right. we've had a lot of pitfalls <laughs> we discussed. A lot of eggshells. This is another one. So we had a lot of do's and what do you do, but we've also talked a lot about what not to do. And this is right. a good one. You don't want to get, as a student, trying to get into something, you don't want to, you don't want to get butt stuck in a HIPAA problem. Right, exactly. Exactly. No, I think it's a great thing that we should definitely... Um, almost the most important thing. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and uh, hope you stay safe. Thanks to our guests. Thank you. Laura, Laura, Joey. Uh, anybody want to follow anyone else on social media, you can find them all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're going to put everyone's accounts. We're going to dig your yeah. MySpace out of the, the ground and bring it back. <laughs> That's been long deleted. Oh, yeah. It's out there somewhere, I bet. Oh, all right, guys. You have a great night. You too. I see you. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, and leave a comment in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. Make sure to follow MSNTC and the YNC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out our webpage at neurosurgerytraining.org slash TNJ, where you can find other episodes and links and resources related to today's conversation. Be sure to check out the YNC's webinar series and visit their webpage on AANS.org. If you have comments or ideas for episodes or would like to join us to talk about anything neurosurgery related, our email address is tnjpodcast at neurosurgerytraining.org. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, I'd like to thank Matt Rosenthal, one of our fantastic MSNTC volunteers for helping with the editing and processing, and also thank all the fabulous people involved in this project. Have a great day and we look forward to next time.